It is November. I'm getting colder. Every day I'm getting a little bit colder. I don't like this. November 2nd is the Digital Bytes article that we're going to cover. I got Johnny. Hey, James, it's almost firework night. It's uh, 5th of November. Remember, remember the 5th of November when Guy Fawkes was going to blow up the House of Parliament. Some say they wish he had, but there you go. We won't go there. So it's, as you say, beginning of November, this weekend coming up, there'll be lots of rockets and sparklers and Catherine wheels. And uh, we can't go a little bit nuts for it. A little bit like Halloween. You just had a Halloween this week, didn't you? So, so we celebrate death and you celebrate threats? <laughs> That's wild. If the threat had worked, it would have been a lot of death. They, there, was, there was kegs of gunpowder under the Houses of Parliament um, way back when. A chap called Guy Fawkes. So that's where the masks come from. In all these, com- in all these sort of, um, uh, all these when people are sort of rioting or when they're actually sort of protesting, you have these Guy Fawkes shaped faces with a sort of moustache, what have you. That's ah. that's Guy Fawkes. I tell you, you are just so full of knowledge. You don't know much about American pasta, but man, that is some morbid stuff you got going on over there. <laughs> it's either that or it's a load of. Oh, you're back with the cow sound effects. <laughs> You know I like the old cow sound, but we won't go down the line route. But yeah, welcome to this week's Digital Bites. Um, and good to be back on the OV James on Cyber.fm. So, yeah, we um, try to have fun. We try to talk to some interesting people. I love going over the newsletter because a lot of them stand out to me as just a normal human. You know, I mean, what did we cover this week? We got the, uh, is the digitalization of $100 trillion of assets a lifeline for traditional stock exchanges? That's... That's a that's a that's a big one. That's that's a lot of words with a lot of money. So it's money. we might need clarification on that one. Sure, Blockchain sure. changing the recruitment process. That's cool. Well, let's let's talk about how we we hire people. I'm all about jobs, and we do talk a lot about renewable and fossil fuels. I own an EV. We cover that. We could probably go light on that one a little bit. Sure. But then coming after that, we got Dale, right? Dale Christie. Dale Christie. He's a blockchain strategist for for fedex among some other things that he does and he wrote an article that that's the one that's the uh the lower cockles of my heart that's the one that hit <laughs> the nine myths about blockchain but but more of that later on because dale's coming up after the break as, as you say um blockchain strategy at fedex and interesting thoughts he's been um involved with blockchain technology um through his business but also he's on a number of different sort of um uh, trade bodies been looking at blockchain and without giving too much away very much about how a decentralized technology i blockchain is probably going to need some centralized agreement and um I, I i love his um his summary that he's put in digital bytes this week um and he finished that uh, it's it's the benefit for all of us it's not about where we compete it's about where we can agree but uh but more more of that coming up after after the break but, uh, James, before we get stuck into it, for new listeners, um, James and I, every week, we go through um, a, a, an analysis that we write here called Digital Bytes, which is every week we're looking at how, where, why and who are using blockchain technology and digital assets. Um, digital assets cover, you know, the, 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 you know, from crypto and NFTs right the way through to central bank digital currencies, the digitization of mutual funds. So that affects your pensions and your savings. Um, could be digitization of or equities, or um, you know, indeed bonds and things like that. And and this this whole thing, this digitization of a hundred trillion. Sorry, before I forget, if you'd like a copy of Digital Bytes, simply go to www dot 
digitalbytes.substack.com. Right, less of the adverts, but th- what we were looking at, 100 trillion of assets, that's a lot of money, um, James. And really what this is all about is looking at the, the asset management industry. And uh, it's claimed that it's got over $100 trillion worth of assets. And we saw a survey that a, a big custodian, a very well-established, a company we're going for, I think, 270-odd years, Bank of New York Mellon. And it looks after about um, $43 trillion worth of assets. And it's produced a really interesting report called Migration to Digital Assets Accelerates. And it cites all sorts of um, percentages, which I won't go into because it's difficult just blasting numbers of people. But the, the essence of what they're saying is that of the companies that they surveyed, 270-odd institutions, I suspect all of them are, are clients of theirs all over the world, they found that the tokenization will revolutionise the asset management industry. And we've seen a number of examples of this. And in particular note, um, back in your home country, James, Colbert, Kravis, Roberts, KKR, they're a very big private equity firm. And for those of you that aren't aware, private equity markets have been outperforming real markets for quite a while. And there's actually more private companies that have a turnover of $100 million um, a year than there are publicly quoted companies. So this is a big sector worth about $7 trillion. And Colbert, Kravis, Roberts have just announced that they're going to tokenize um, some of the shares in one of its private equity funds, the Healthcare Strategic Growth Fund, number two. And it's going to be listed, these digital shares, on an exchange in America. Uh, the exchange is securitized. So what it'll mean is that, the, that instead of Colbert, Kravis, Roberts just selling to institutions, they now have access to high net worth individuals, which allegedly just in the States, that accounts for about 10 percent of the population or 10 percent of the households in America, which themselves account for 70 odd trillion dollar worth of assets. Because the industry feel that institutions have already got quite a lot of exposure to private equity. So therefore, they want to try and target high net worth investors. So interesting to see how that's there going to affect on the stock markets. Because if you start seeing lots and lots of funds being tokenized and being put on digital exchanges, and you know, some of the digital exchanges, some of these will be new names, some of them perhaps not so. Um, you, you've got people like Artrax here in London, Securitize um, in the US, the Singapore Digital Exchange, the Swiss Digital Exchange. Um, we've even got a, a DeFi exchange out of Germany called Swarm, which some of you may remember, they've been on the Digital Bytes show in the past, some of these companies. And I cannot see the likes of the New York Stock Exchange, the Singapore Stock Exchange, the London Stock Exchange, the Paris, the German Bourse. They're not just going to sit there and see all these tokenized funds um, being quoted. They're going to want to change their rules and regulations and get a slice of the action. So perversely, whilst we've been seeing initial public offerings, IPOs, declining in terms of the number that are coming onto the market and with a weak economy, arguably that's going to get even worse. I think we could see the tokenization of mutual funds, as I say, the sort of things that we put our pensions into and the like. As we start seeing those digitize, we could well see the stock exchanges either go and buy these digital exchanges stroke platforms or actually start listing some of these digitized funds themselves. And I just stress we're not talking about crypto funds. We're talking about actively managed private equity funds, VC funds, hedge funds and bog standard mutual funds and ETFs. So big shakeup potentially coming down the line. 
This is the uh, the future of my pension, right? Yeah. And this is why it's so important. This isn't some sort of abstract, it's not going to affect me, I don't do anything with tech. This is going to affect your pension, potentially. It's going to affect your savings. This is going to be of note. It, it now means that you know, if you go and win the lotto and you you become a high net worth investor, James, you will then be able to invest in some of these private equity funds, which have done really, really well. Whereas right now, you're not allowed. You're excluded from a number of those private equity fund providers. So it, it is going to impact potentially on many, many people and not just in the States. It's going to be, it's going to be good to know that uh, my kid could very well be affected by blockchain well before he gets to understand how it works. Well, I think that's the point that, you know, we, although we talk about blockchain because that's kind of what we do, um, you know, I think we're going to see, you know, certainly our children, James, they're not going to talk about blockchain in the same way. They don't go around talking about, oh, yes, I'm really good at pivot tables on my Excel spreadsheets. Or have you seen how you can do bold and italics um, on my Word document? It's, it's just going to be an underlying protocol. And just as an aside, it was really interesting in a press release put out this week, um, Crypto.com incredible you know they they, they you, you know they're, sp- they're sponsoring all sorts of sports stadiums uh, particularly in the us um and crypto.com user base has gone from 10 million in february 21 to 70 million and for the second year in succession they've turned over a billion dollars so it's going from being a fringe thing to actually yeah fine it's it's another investment um and that's just crypto but those cryptos underlying it they're all using blockchain technology and so it's becoming much more accepted at a retail level with 70 million people, but at an institutional level. Um, hence, you know, the, we, we're quoting here in this article about BNY Mellon and um, obviously Cobra Kravis Roberts, who are doing their tokenizing of one of one of their private equity funds. Yeah. And that's worldwide numbers, right? That's not U.S. That's uh, that's yeah. to be fair when yeah, you said that, what was it, 70 million. Yes. Um, Crypto.com, 70 million. Yeah. Right, right, right. Worldwide. Yeah. Well, they're the most popular, in my opinion. It's, it's like you said, Super Bowl, right? Yeah, and they're um, didn't they just take over the Staples Center in California? Yeah, that so that's really that's musical events, concerts, sporting events. Sporting, it it yeah. gets the word so out. Gets, gets the name brand recognition. It's like using Pepsi or McDonald's or something like that. It's just brand recognition, and from that, people get comfortable, and you know they'll put a little bit of money to that sort of thing. Well, the big well, Mac coin, the big Mac coin, did not work out the way it was expected. No, nor did the Burger King coin, which interestingly started off in Russia. But uh, we won't we won't dwell on that particular tasty morsel in this show today. Hundred trillion dollars, and I, and I guess that's why. James, you're not normally quiet. Uh, you've actually gone quiet on me today. I'm I'm getting a bit worried. It's 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 overwhelming that that I don't even know how to say it. it it's a hundred trillion dollars. I don't like to focus on. I shouldn't say that. That would be a lie. I am not an advocate of focusing on financials when we talk about black. I guess I'm all some. I'm all revved up for for the guests later, and that's where my brain went. I, you know, Johnny. One of the things that I deal with on the Cyber FM side is the inability to comprehend the professional level, the Ivy League of what we talk about often. Right now, as much as I'm experienced in the in the equities. And the crypto industry, you know, you are by far more experienced in the, in the, you drive a Jaguar, I drive a car and I'm just joking around. But this article for me as a human, I, I gain interest in the idea 
that these firms that are growing, I know you talk about crypto.com and, and it might be a valid point. Crypto.com has become so mainstream to me that I didn't flinch. You noticed it. I didn't flinch. To me, yep. it was just crypto.com. But when we talk about tokeny and securitize and swarm, for example, I'm picking those three out because I've never used them personally, right? I, I didn't know that these are going to be the people that introduced wrapping digital assets, tokenizing mutual funds, maybe equities where my brain will go. When, when Crypto.com said it, and I'm not disparaging Crypto.com at all, but they did maybe, it's fair to say, accomplish what they wanted to accomplish by being the household name for blockchain and digital assets. That's why I didn't flinch. I think a, a future article, if we talk to the guys at Tokeny or Swarm, about how they are going to break in and how the advantage, what's the advantage going to be? That's gonna, that's going to attract me. Yep. Does that well, make suppose, sense to you at all? It does, but then you've got two very different models. Uh, I'm sure many, many uh, listeners will not be familiar with BNY Mellon, for example. Um, yet they've got forty-three trillion dollars under their custody. So the chances are that your pension fund or your regular savings or just your savings, that, that money is held by BNY Mellon, but you've never heard of them because they're not really focused and targeting most of their activities at the retail level. It's at the institutional level. And that's the same with some of, you know, with the likes of, you know, the tokenism and securitas and um, swarm and Archax. You know, at the moment, they're, they're more focused at the institutional side of things as opposed to mass marketing crypto.com they want to go retail they want to go mass marketing uh coinbase they want to go retail mass marketing so um it's it's kind of horses for courses i suppose as much as anything and i guess that's why i started talking i, I said my son right i'm like oh good my son will know because that's in in the future i don't think that they're they're probably going to become jaded like you just caught me jaded i know bny melon half of my career revolved around bny melon and I did not appreciate that my son probably had no idea who they are. Yep. My son may not care how his mutual fund or his retirement has grown. Well, they don't. They don't care until yeah, I'd say until they need to use it or until something goes wrong, and then they very much care. But um, but that's just that's just the market, and that's what it is. But uh, yeah, it's a wild one, James. I'm I'm well, you know, it's it's good that I've caught you slightly off guard. I'm, I, I, it's a while since I've managed to do that. that article, you so. you accomplished that. That's the first time, maybe the first time. <laughs> you got me. Okay, so one of the, one of the other things I know you said you were interested in. Uh, we talked just for the show was how it's changing the jobs market recruitment process. So now this I could talk about. interesting. Yeah, so this is um, you know you've got platforms. Um, most of us are familiar with people like sort of LinkedIn and Fiverr and Upwork and Indeed. And, and that they're certainly making it easier to find jobs. Um, and we're seeing, um, you know, blockchain technology that have been coming into the, the whole recruitment process, um, you know, in, in payroll, um, in, in carrying out background checks, part of the recruitment process. Interesting that if you're going for a job, there's no reason why you can't submit your CV. And if you don't get the job, you can then effectively claim your CV back. Or you could use a blockchain-powered platform, say, you can have my CV for the next five, six weeks. After that, no, I'm going to have it back. So that old saying, sorry, James, you haven't got the job, but we'll keep your CV on file. Well, that all kind of disappears. So it gives a bit of control back to the candidate, but 
all the time they've shared their information, it's held in a very, very sort of um, safe and secure way. Uh, other ways that blockchain is being used is using sort of smart contracts um, to sort of speed up the process to be able to carry out verification checks and also then to use that information in, in screening and, and, and the such like. Um, or maybe just actually using blockchain technology in, in the whole recruitment process. So we talk about a company called Recruiter.com or IBM have been helping a company called PersolCareer.co. And this is a Japanese employment company. Um, the, the best example I thought, though, was Accenture of um, looking to recruit 150,000 staff um, on the ninth floor. And it's created a sort of virtual reality location. It's using virtual reality and the metaverse. And it's saying, come and meet in the metaverse. And they found out that, um, you know, thousands of people um, are looking at the metaverse and believe that we're 71 percent of the, the 4000 tech people that they interviewed believe the metaverse can have a positive impact on their company. And 42 percent believe it's going to be transformational. So we're beginning to see sort of blockchain um, in the recruitment process, helping not only the recruiters, but also the candidates looking for jobs in different ways. Do you think I'll get I'll get the job if my avatar has like blue hair? Well, I wouldn't employ you. But I got tattoos all over my avatar. You have to be woke. All over you what? Oh, I know. avatar. I my avatar in the metaverse, right? So I'm going to show up for the job interview with like blue hair and a nose ring. As long as you don't do a moony. <laughs> a moody. You know what's interesting about this with blockchain changing the recruitment process? And, and I speak on personal experience. I feel like my resume, which is not actively out seeking a job at this time. I feel like I need to actually say that. My resume has become almost a, a, a spam tool, not only for recruiters, but particular, I won't name them, like websites. Because I left my resume there, I or you know what I will say, I have, I have an opinion about even certain professional social media sites. Wherever my resume is, I have seen an uptick in the amount of spam that I receive based on my resume literally naming my resume. So did we cover self-sovereign identity at all or, or you know, Web3 controlling the privacy of, of my, who do I allow? I guess the smart contract would cover that. Who do I allow to even see my resume? I know the average thought process might be that I want everybody to see my resume, but I'm also in a position where I'm like, no, you, how did you get my resume? How did you find me? Well, that kind of goes back to, if you remember, we had our friend Fraser uh, from Checked. He came on a couple of weeks ago and he was talking about self-sovereign identity. And we got into the whole thing about Web3 and soulbound tokens. Um, and again, different types of technology, which is really giving you the power over your information. And instead of you being the product and being exploited, which arguably, you know, the fangs have been doing because, you know, you look at some, well, look at Google. Google basically make, you know, billions out of selling data. And that data typically is what you're doing. Whereas if you become anonymous and you take control of that data back and people like Apple are trying to do that and, and enable you to opt out that information being shared, then it kind of puts the boot back on the other foot and you as the individual can sell your data. Uh, if you remember, we were talking about this a couple of weeks ago, how blockchain has been used in the medical industry and people are able to actually say, yes, you can have access to my medical records, but I do want to be paid a little bit for it. If you can do some research, I want to be paid. And this is, I think, a good example of how the technology of blockchain is being used in all sorts of different ways. And it's changing the business dynamics. And I know we'll get into that a little bit after the break with Dale. 
whereby we're talking about businesses needing to cooperate and agree certain standards before they can then go forward and compete with, at, at a product level. So, um, yeah, a, a continual theme going through um, when we're looking at the ways in which the technology is being used in different jurisdictions and industries, James. Yeah, and in the newsletter, we did link back to an example where we control the amount of time that our personal information is allowed to be accessed. That was uh, one of your yeah. sources in the article. So that kind of answers that for me. I think that's, I've just noticed it personally. It's been a big deal for me. Right. Okay, James, we're going to have to go. We've got um, Dale um, waiting to come after the break. But as I said before, if you'd like a copy of Digital Bytes, simply go to www. I think I'll put too many W's in there, just three W's, digitalbytes.substack.com, and we'll send you over a hard copy. Or if you'd like to, just contact James Tyler at cyber.fm or myself, Johnny Fry at Team Blockchain, and we'll make sure you get a weekly copy of Digital Bytes. But more of this later on after the break. Thank you. Hi, my name's Johnny Fry, and each week I sit down with James Tiley on Cyber.fm and record the Digital Byte Show, looking at how, where, and why blockchain technology and digital assets are being used in different industries and different countries. If you'd like your free copy, then simply go to digitalbytes.substack.com and we'll send you a weekly newsletter every week. This is real-time music playing, cryptocurrency paying, free money radio. Cyber.fm. As always, it's another day, another way. What do you see? What do you say? How do you do? Team Blockchain's back, and Johnny always brings a friend. Thankfully, this guy lives over by me. I don't have to worry about using special words like ZD, because I bet you he knows what ZD is, right, Johnny? I bet, bet you know, he, I don't think, Dale, do you have any idea what ZD is? It's, it's an Italian word for something that you eat. Pasta. Yeah, there we go. You oh, see? Oh, gosh. <laughs> you Americans, you're sticking together, ganging up for, on a lime here across the other side of the pond. He's a tenor, that, I see. Dale, Dale Christie, uh, delighted to welcome you onto the Digital Byte show. As, as, as James said, we've known each other for a little while, and um, we both each heard each other speak at various events here in the UK and, and also in Europe. Really interested in your, in your article that you've written, Sort of nine myths about blockchain, a little bit controversial, which is just what we wanted. Um, but before we get stuck into the article, would you mind just telling our listeners, and we've got listeners literally all over the world, Cyber.fm got 4.6 million listeners, believe it or not. Um, so it'd be great just to get some perspective of sort of who you are. I know you work at FedEx, but you, you're also on, on, a, on um, a much bigger sort of council where you, you're involved with other people in the, in the transport and the courier industry. Perhaps you can explain a little bit about that. That'd be really helpful. Yes. Uh, again, very happy to join you here. And again, I bring you greetings from Memphis, U.S. Uh, and because I work for FedEx and we go to 220 countries and territories, not only are we global, but we are local for most of the listeners. And uh, that's a pretty amazing thing. And I'll come back to that because I think that has helped me with my perspective at essentially the International Space Station level on this topic. Uh, I'm business fellow and blockchain strategist for FedEx. Um, I've been involved with the first blockchain use case I led uh, for FedEx in early 2017. And uh, we are founding members of several things. One is the Blockchain Research Institute in Toronto, uh, led by Don and Alex Tapscott. We are also founding members of the Blockchain and Transport Alliance Standards Council, now known as BIDA Standards Council. Uh, and I'm the president and chairman of that. Uh, and on our council, uh, is UPS, Salesforce, Delta Airlines, many others, BNSF, and others uh, that you would recognize. 
Um, and we are focused in that uh, standards council on open source and royalty free data standards in the blockchain space and, and around global commerce. So brilliant, brilliant. So so really, this is sort of trying to bring a, a sort of quite a global perspective of of um, if you like thoughts and analysis that have been carried out by yourselves and some of the other members. And I, I'm intrigued. The myths you, you come up with nine myths of blockchain and dispelling those myths. You know what what, what sort of gave you the sort of idea to sort of think about these nine myths you do you think people have got it wrong oh i absolutely think they have it wrong and i think that uh you know the chronology of this how long this has taken i think is helping these come into focus better so we didn't leave we didn't start by trying to prove that people were wrong uh, we went down the same path on a lot of these things uh, as far back as 2017, you know, most of the world and most of the hype was around, you know, let's put a bunch of smart people in the room and have them sign on disclosures and uh, treat it exactly like the Internet. And let's all get rich quick and get out of that and go from there. And so um, we were learning, doing our early use cases and all those things. And ultimately, we kind of came to the conclusion that it's actually, in our opinion, a fork in the road. So the most of the people were heading down the let's monetize it immediately. Let's treat it like the Internet and get rich quick. But we realized that uh, at that international space station level, the 220 country and territory level at global commerce, it's going to have to scale to millions of entities, including all the way to a bicycle delivery company. And at that level, we didn't think the consortium model or the other you know, non-disclosure kind of models would scale. And so by contrast, we said, well, actually, we think there's a fork in the road, which is if we could hang uh, an Apache open source license or a MIT open source license or something, some open source license on the threshold of this global you know, uh, conference room, if you would think of it that way, and you stop and read through it and say, if you're OK with that, come on in. We felt at that point it could actually scale globally. And so by early 2019, we we actually publicly said we think open is inevitable in this space. And so I'm sure a lot of people do think that that could be controversial, but it's not altruistic on our part. It, it We came to that conclusion because we don't think the other side will scale in global commerce. It might in other areas. There's other industries and things like that where a smaller number of people could actually create something. But in global commerce, it's really, really big. And that takes me back up to the International Space Station. So when we talk about open um, presumably as the opposite to, to closed or restricted, we're talking about private versus public blockchains. You're, you're talking about for blockchains to work in, in, your, in, the sort of, in your industry, they're, they're going to have to be open to all. You can't just say, oh, we're going to select who comes into our club almost. I, I, have I got the right gist? And that's, that's correct. And again, I think everybody has evolved since 2017 or so since we first got involved. So now my sense is in the future, it's going to be some hybrid version of that. There will be public, there will be private, et cetera. And I think probably the more specific focus is around interoperability. So it's going to have to be interoperable. All of us are going to have to be able to play in that space. We're going to be able to get to that. And as it, as it continues to evolve, I may get to it from a public place, you may get to it from a private place. But uh, for example, working with, you know, US customs or EU customs or Dubai customs, their focus is going to be essentially interoperability, uh, verifiable credentials, decentralized identifiers, those kinds of things that are really going to open this up to the world as long as we can all speak that language. And so, uh, like I said, it's evolved a little bit over the last few years from that point of view. But at its core, if I think of a uh, an Android phone, which has an open platform, you know, we on this podcast could create a proprietary app 
and so we think it's going to be a combination of that. We think there's going to be this foundational layer um, and then opportunities will exist on top of that. But but what happened back to 2017 and prior to and after is that a lot of people wanted to simply jump to the app. They just simply wanted to say, let's just make money on this app without the platform being built. Okay. And one of the one of the themes that runs through your article is um, and I think you've almost come up with a new word, co-op-etition. And I love I love the picture. You've got lots of people on the left with flags trying to get across a very swanky bridge to the, presumably the land of promise and milk and honey, which is a sort of a new digital world. C- can you explain why you think competition um, as opposed to competition is probably the way forward if we're going to get some real scale in this thing? Absolutely. That was also part of the realization, which is that same. I'll go back to that same fork for just a second, just to set that up. Uh, most people were going down the how do I monetize it path. We realized it, we didn't think it was going to scale globally. And based on that, we think it will take a coopetition to do that. And um, so the uh, visual that we have that uh, Johnny's referring to uh, really has this kind of futuristic looking city on the right hand side, kind of like Dubai or maybe some Chinese city or something. But whatever you think the future is, it represents blockchain. And then on the left is a bunch of people holding flags and, you know, you can kind of see it. You, you can see that new world. What are we waiting for? The answer is, you know, the comment would be that there's actually a canyon between us and it's going to take a bridge to be built. And a lot of people are trying to monetize that. They're trying to make that into what we would call a toll bridge or a toll road. Um, and if we all recall early in the web browser days, they tried to do the same thing. And now you don't today, you don't care how I get to your website as long as you you know have views and clicks and shopping cart and whatever the applicable activity that that's ten, that tends to be a generic journey from that point of view um in this case we think it's going to take a bunch of people to actually do it we came out in 2019 and said we don't think fedex can slap a logo on this and have the world come to us our competitors won't pay to use our blockchain or vice versa and as I said, it, it became this realization that, wait a second, for this thing to scale, truly scale at the levels that we're talking about, it's going to have to be essentially, you know, I would think of it like the interstate highway system in the U.S. No one company could build it by itself. But if it were built, there are all kinds of monetization opportunities that would sit on top of that. And so we think it's going to take a bunch of us to actually build, as indicated in that graphic, uh, the bridge, the the foundational blockchain piece uh, that will get us there. Once it's there, we all win. That's the whole point is we're not trying to win. We're trying to lead and offer comments in more of a global thought leadership scenario. Okay. So and, uh, I'm sorry, because this isn't in your article, but it's something we've been looking at uh, the last couple of days. There's in the banking and financial world, um, you've probably heard of the messaging system called SWIFT to send messages of what the banks owe each other. And they were due to launch um, something called ISO, International Standards Organization, um, had, had come up with the um, 20022 because it was going to be launched this November. And it was basically an upgrade of the SWIFT messaging service. Um, and they were saying that the, this is being built in collaboration with um, a number of their different banks, institutions that use them. And it, it just seems to strike a similar sort of chord because um, SWIFT have also come out and said, looking at their systems and procedures, they reckon they can handle central bank digital currencies and come to that any other digital form of asset, debt, equity, real estate, commodities, for except providing it's digitized. And it seems to me there's quite a close um, correlation there with what you're saying, that rather than a bank come out, what we need, or, or in your case, a, a courier company come out with the, the solution, it seems we almost need an I, ISO, International Standards Organization, to come out with some 
if you like, some global agreements on what should and shouldn't be part of that blockchain potentially then? Yeah, I, I again, I won't speak to that side of things because you're 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 more the expert on that. But at the process level, uh, my brain kind of connects dots. And at the process level, I completely agree with you. There's almost nothing in our world that is not out there uh, without some time, some types of standards. In the U.S. in the late 1800s, uh, we had to agree on the width of railroad tracks for it to scale, for it to cross the country and for it to get to this kind of golden spike moment that it's known in history. Uh, whether that is the alphabet, whether that's telegraph, whether that's all kinds of things, we think that's what is dominant here. And again, a lot of people are trying to put their blinders on and they have traditionally and for all the right reasons. There's antitrust laws. There's all kinds of things from that point of view. But cooperation is not is not an antitrust issue. As I would say, it's not about where we compete. It's about where we can agree. So where yeah. we compete draws the hard line onto the antitrust side of things. Those laws are critical and important, and we all respect them at the highest level. However, where can we agree takes us to a completely different place. And so one example of that uh, in our area would be that uh, most people don't realize that there's actually a trade association that only has three members. It's called Global Express Association, and the three members are FedEx, DHL, and UPS. And we sat down on stage in 2019 at, at a conference in Toronto and just calmly said, here's where we all agree in this space. And one of the areas where we agree would be where we can reduce friction across borders. We all win. That's paperwork. That's delays. That's resources. And we actually worked together to produce a call to action and position paper to world customs and world trade in 2019 that pushed for that type of interoperable and open technology from that point of view. And so I think that is the point, Johnny, that you just made, which is there are very similar scenarios in a lot of areas, which is where we can reduce friction, we all win. So where is that? And that could be in the financial area like you referred to. It could be in logistics like I referred to. Uh, I, I mean, I'll, I'll finish with one quick point here. And, and I mentioned it in the, in the article, which is in 2019, just out kind of out of the blue of the sky, there's a, a press release from the big three CEOs in Germany uh, that just calmly said, we think the future of cars in Germany is electric. And by saying that, it doesn't sound like a big deal. I mean, it's a big deal by itself, but it doesn't sound like it's a big deal. But what they're really saying there is we're not going to fight at the infrastructure level. We don't care how you charge your German vehicle. We'll still compete at the model level, but we think the future is electric. And and that's another just fantastic example of competition. We also saw a lot of that in the pandemic, right? Where, where you and I could have been arguing over our favorite, you know, team behind the fence, you know, and then back across the backyard in the fence, in that area. And all of a sudden we dropped everything to figure out how to move ventilators and PPE to people yeah. around the world that we didn't know and would never meet because it was the right thing to do. So where can we agree becomes a really powerful thing. And I think it's a really um, uh, a big opportunity in the next five or 10 or 15 years. It's a value layer that I think is still unrealized uh, and it goes well beyond blockchain. Yeah. And I think uh, it's, and I think possibly this is the, this is the paradox almost that people, some people will struggle because the whole idea for many about sort of decentralized um, ledger technology blockchains is that word decentralized. And therefore the idea of having a centralized, these are the standards, these are things you need to comply you must do this, you know, that, that language, almost the pointing a finger, which many people abhor. But ultimately, in order for these things to scale, you've got to have some common agreement, which is exactly what you're saying that you, you and I love your expression, the benefit for all is not 
about where we compete, but it's about where we can agree. And I, I, I think that's really important, not just as you say in your industry, but um, you know, across commerce and business in and outside of um, you know, the use of blockchain technology. James, I, I know when you first read the article, you said, hang on, Johnny, we're going to have a, a ding dong here because Bitcoin isn't blockchain or blockchain's not Bitcoin. You love that bit, didn't you? So I'm not going to lie to you. It definitely caught me off guard, which is what's probably one of the greatest parts of this article. You wouldn't expect a legitimate, well-organized, famous brand name to come out with controversy, right? I mean, you open it up with, hey, Bitcoin's not blockchain. And I went, oh, how you doing? My best New York I could do. <laughs> how you doing? Uh, yeah, how you doing? But Bitcoin is on equal blockchain. I was like, that's rough. I know from experience, I have trouble with that explaining to other people. What I applaud is, uh, and I have one question, and I could talk about this article for a half an hour if I wanted to. As the regular normal guy, I'm the normal guy in this situation, and you hit me with the shock and awe, and all of a sudden I could relate. I could relate for two reasons. One, I own a German EV. So I totally, I was like, oh, that makes sense. Um, you know, the infrastructure is all the same. Nobody cares about the charging. Why did I buy this particular German EV? So the, the co-opetition, never heard that word before a day in my life. Now it's my new favorite word. It's a great word, isn't it? It's a great it word. It really is. And, and it made sense by using the, what, BMW, and I own a BMW for transparency. Also, I have a little experience, a little experience in logistics. I won't say where or who or why. And, but the railroad tracks, I was like, oh, so this article perfectly explains in my eyes, decentralization, when we talk about everything's always crypto, everything's always money, always I'm going to get rich. This article explains that, no, we're going to use the technology to make the companies better for the end user. You may not necessarily know if it's on blockchain. My question for you, Dale, is does everybody in your personal experience seem to agree when the, when the mic is off? Do they agree with your approach about co-opetition and the need to eventually move blockchain away from money. Well, those are two separate, like four-hour seminars, right? That's uh, the in problem. Terms with of me. Those, in, in terms of those two things, um, I think that if we if we drew out a chart from 2017, 18, 19, 20, obviously through the pandemic and everything else, I would tell you that the answer is yes. People are moving more and more and more toward this bigger view this broader view of things and not just what's in this for me. And as I said, at the International Space Station, at that level, if I take everybody up to there, there is no FedEx, there is no industry, and there are no borders. And that was the, that was the slap in the face kind of, wow, wait a second, this is a really enormous conversation here. And for it to scale at that level, we have to work together. We have to figure that out. We have to work with the government, uh, the regulatory people. We have to work with our competitors. We have to work with other people. It simply won't work until we do that. So, yeah, I think that I think that we have moved the needle. And that's the whole point of our message for the last several years is the sooner that we can get people to understand that this is a really enormous conversation and they can jump out of that lane of let's get rich quick and we can talk more about the C-suite in influence and, and, and uh, you know, how can I improve business processes and various things like that, the sooner this technology will scale and the sooner we can drive adoption. And the sooner that gets us to network effects, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, you're not receiving any pushback on that thought process. Is that a fair statement? I'm not getting any pushback on the thought process, but the 
kind of the proof of that would be how fast are we actually moving this forward? And I think we are moving it forward, but it's, it's slow. Again, this was not taught in most business schools. It was not taught on your first day of work. Okay. I want you to, I want you to pull your blinders back and consider how James and Johnny and Dale could all work together on something that we agree on. Most of them are like, no, no, that's your competitor. You stay focused, keep your blinders on and do those kinds of things. So it's a very different approach. Um, and certainly, you know, it's not one of those, uh, flip the switch and we'll all move forward here. Uh, it's a slow burn to get it to that point, but have we seen, uh, progress? Yes, we have. Again, I mean, just for example, the U.S. Customs, uh, Department of Homeland Security in the U.S., they have the exact same vision that we do. They have a 21st century framework that includes the digitization of all of this. And we certainly couldn't do it without them. And we certainly can't wait for them to do it. And, and so therefore coopetition is a shoulder to shoulder approach. But yeah, I think, I think as people understand the technology a little bit, most of the people that were here for the hype in 2017, 2018, whatever the case may be, that we're trying to get rich quick. Um, most of them have gone, gone on to something else. And the rest of us that are the serious players that have been in this thing all along are still working our way through the important conversations that need to take place for this thing to scale. Well, I'm in like Flynn, Johnny. I look forward to a second article, maybe about decentralization itself. I was going to say, James, we're not going to let you get away with this. We're going to have to get you back on, um, you know, early next year with with an update and it's perhaps a d- deeper dive in some of these things because I think you're touching on um, some really interesting subjects. And I, I must admit, as someone that's been involved in business myself, and, and it's always been about, you know, what's your competition doing and what's your USP and, and things like that. Um, and it was really interesting. Um, I was asked to complete a survey by one of the top four accountants only only yesterday. And for the first time in that survey, and I've been doing this for a number of years, you know, blockchain and the metaverse were two words that came up and they were asking questions about it. But I fear that C-suite, as you refer to them, are still very much focused on sort of me, 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 potentially. And perhaps what we should be doing is how do we solve the problem and get, if you like, the base level sort out, and then we can compete once we've got to almost like, as you say, the railway tracks, the car charges. Let's let's get the basics sort out, and then go back to competing on what we're doing. But uh, Dale, thank you very much for coming on. If anyone would like a copy of um, Dale's article, then um, basically contact myself, Johnny Fry um, at Team Blockchain, or James Tiley at Cyber.fm, or if you just want to go on to www.digitalbytes.substack.com and you can download a copy of the article and you can receive a weekly um, subscription to Digital Bytes, which we produce every, every Wednesday. Dale, thank you very much. James, thanks a lot. We'll be back on the air next week um, with another guest. I think um, it's another American I think we've got next week, James, uh, uh, an old contact of yours. So we'll be looking forward to that article next week here on Digital Bytes Show.